With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. guys you ready to let the dogs out what do what <laughs> just let the dogs out you know like who let the dogs out who who off the hook airing on off the hook sports.com your home for real news real opinions and what really matters about tennessee athletics always available on apple podcasts spotify stitcher google play tune in iheart like share follow subscribe Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Here we go. Welcome to you and yours on a Thursday. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. And a lot to talk about as Tennessee still looking for a coach. To replace Alex Golish, not from the offensive coordinator stance, but from the tight ends coach stance. So we'll discuss that. Caleb Calhoun has some great possible candidates that are out there. And also something we didn't get to yesterday is Tennessee has finished number six or better in the final AP poll. Check me on this 13 times. Is that right, Caleb? Yes. Well, 14 if you count this year, but 13 before this year. Okay, 13 before this year, 14 total. So 13 times we have a track record of what Tennessee has done after finishing number six or better. What did they do the following season? So we're going to tell you. And Caleb, we go all the way back to what pre-World War II era. Is it 1938? Yes, Um I consider 1938 to 1940, you're going to laugh at this, but um, I look at eras of Tennessee football almost the way I look at eras of Disney animation because they're like almost parallel. The golden age of Walt Disney animation was the pre-World War II films of Snow White, Pinocchio, 
in those. That was basically the golden age of Tennessee football. The 1938 to 1940 realm under Robert Nalen was the middle. That was his second stint. Tennessee went undefeated in the regular season three straight years from 1938 to 1940. They lost two bowl games, but as you know, Dave, bowl games didn't really count back then. So I think in reality, they basically went undefeated three straight years. Well, that's pretty strong. Uh, the golden age of Disney, in my opinion, is when they took uh, well over $1,000 on a one-day visit uh, to take my kids to Disney. That was the golden <laughs> That was fantastic. Though, you know, the worst part about going to Disney is you drive all that way and you take your family and you're sitting there and you're paying, I believe it was $50 to park. And your eight-year-old daughter says, Dad, next time, can we go someplace closer like Dollywood? And you're like, oh my gosh, you are so mad right now. Curiously, because you worked at ESPN for a minute, didn't you? Two years, yes. They were owned by Disney. Do you get any special perks to like visit Disney World if you work for Disney Corporation? I did. I did. I, I don't think I've ever paid for a Disney ticket. And actually, there are, are other ways that I can um, show you how to get free tickets to Disney, but I don't want to go into that publicly. Go ahead and hit the <laughs> like button if you're on board today. Like and share. I ain't paying for that stuff. So, um, you know, to do with your last name. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. A little bit of that. Yeah. I <laughs> hit that like button uh, if you haven't subscribed yet please do that because we're loaded up for the next hour we're excited new time 11 o'clock so go ahead and punch that into your calendar we'll be with you i'm sorry 10 o'clock 10 o'clock 10 o'clock uh 11 o'clock bermuda time 10 o'clock we are with you so we want you to be a part of the program each and every day and this first part of the show is going to be pretty interactive because i found something very interesting that uh, Jacob Warren said recently, and it's on a story uh, by Jimmy Himes on Off the Hook Sports, who we're excited to uh, b- bring into the fold. We've already brought him into the fold last fall from a writing standpoint. And congratulations to Jimmy Himes, who announced his retirement recently as of December the 31st. He's hanging up the headset. He's still going to do some stuff. You might see him around Off the Hook Sports. I'd say you will. But uh, congratulations to him. A phenomenal run in the Tennessee Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame, in the Tennessee Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame. I believe he's the only person to do that. And in the East Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, which is typically reserved for athletes. So I don't imagine anybody could have a better career in that when it comes to sports broadcasting and journalism. So we get going with today's tough question today, and I want some inter- uh, interaction from our message board, and I want it now. So get ready. Get the keyboards ready. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason Real Estate, andymasonrealestate.com. It's pretty simple with Andy Mason. He has the best prices, and he has the best service how about that over 40 years of experience in his office don't make a mistake that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars potentially i did that before i got to know uh, andy mason and you have got to got to got to uh, get on board with andymasonrealestate.com if you've even thought about being in the real estate market david's saying Good morning, guys. I hope Amanda's doing well. She is. She's off to Aruba, so I'm sure she'll have a fantastic time, even with child. I don't know. Being at the beach, though, I've been there with kids, and it's a whole different sort of endeavor as opposed to not. You know, when you're at the beach by yourself, 
It's just a good time. When you're at the beach pushing a stroller through like 20 yards of deep sand, it, I mean, I remember my calves almost about to explode when I took my, it was that same trip, I think, um, when I took that trip to uh, Florida and then into Fort Lauderdale. So it's different with kids, so it can be a challenge. All right, so a very interesting quote from Jacob Warren when he said Clemson because they were hot when he became really a, a college football fan uh, later into his high school years. I mean, he was all, always a Tennessee fan. His dad played there. His uncle played there. But Jacob Warren said uh, Clemson is one of the teams he always wanted to beat and kind of was the team. So I ask you, Caleb, and I want to go to the message boards on this as well. So, uh, Caleb, what fan base would Tennessee fans most like to beat? What program would Tennessee most like to beat that's not in the SEC? What non-conference team? So I go back to some of the great wins. It was Miami, I believe, in 2003. Is that correct? Where they won down there. That was that was a great win against one of the most talented, maybe the most talented team I've ever seen in person. Best game Fulmer ever coached. Best game Fulmer ever coached. I don't think it's even close. I agree totally. David already says Ohio State, so they're on the board, David. And another one, how about the miracle at South Bend? Yeah, I think Notre Dame's right up there. Notre Dame, to me, there's a lot of things that they do that just annoy me to no end. The independent thing, the uh, holier-than-thou thing, and I happen to be religious, so nothing uh, against their religion, but just the way they treat the rest of the college football world and the way the rest of the college football world allows them to do that drives me crazy. So to me, I'm going to put one in there for uh, Notre Dame. Ohio State's another. What other non-conference opponent? Hit that like thumbs up button for the new people that just jumped on board. What other non-conference opponent would you most like to beat as a Tennessee fan? Put it on the message board. We've got Ohio State and Notre Dame so far as I go ahead and push my influence upon today's question. What do you think, Caleb Calhoun? Well, Travis Case just actually took the words right out of my mouth. I would have said Florida State. But I will say I came of age following college football in the late 90s, early 2000s. I would understand if I came of age in the 80s and 90s. I would hate Notre Dame's guts because I, I'm, I'm with you. I can't stand their holier than thou, the whole touchdown Jesus. Johnny Majors had a joke after the miracle at South Bend. Apparently a trainer for Tennessee or some equipment guy uh, said, uh, what you know how Notre Dame lost off, off a missed field goal in that game, didn't they? They missed a field goal to win it at the end. Uh, yes, yes, they did. And that was one of the fa- that was the famous John Ward actually got it wrong. He did. Yeah. So. Um, Major says, I think the, uh, he says there was an equipment man he knew who said that uh, he asked him what he he was asked what he was doing when they were kicking that field goal. And the equipment guy goes, I was watching touchdown Jesus and he was doing this. Because you know he has the little sign and well, he was doing what for the for those on our audio platform? He was doing the no good sign for a oh, field goal, the missed field goal sign, as opposed to touchdown. Jesus looks like he's giving up touchdowns, and I think I think I think Major said, you know, I thought Moses and Jesus preceded Notre Dame, but Notre Dame doesn't think so, and so I understand that. But me, I'm sorry, I go back to I 
I can't get over how much of a love fest there was for Florida State in the polls in the 90s and the early 2000s. I mean, it was ridiculous. I think they had like 14 straight years with top five finishes. They weren't a top five team all 14 of those years. They had no business winning the 1993 national title. They did not deserve it. I'm going to stand by it. It was ridiculous that they got the number one nod over Notre Dame that year. Um, I think that there were year there were plenty, you know, they went to the national title, what, three straight years in three, no, four times in five years and lost three of them. Only won one in 99. They got bumped into the national title game in 2000. Despite losing to Miami, both teams had one loss and no business going to that title game. And so there was, a, and then there was the, um, there was 2003 where they got away with about the worst officiating I've ever seen in a football game, Florida State, Florida. They beat Florida off that awful officiating. Then they go and stomp on Florida's midfield logo. A fight breaks out. I don't know if you remember that. And, and I, I'm, they would, they got, they got vaulted into the top five every year because they won a very bad ACC. Say what you want about Clemson in recent years, but at least Clemson actually made some noise when the college football playoff would come. Florida State would almost always lose their bowl game in the 90s. They got blown out by Florida in, 90, in the 97 national title. They lost to Tennessee two years later. Um, they lost to Oklahoma 13-2. to So, yeah, Florida State, the love fest they got from the media made me in the AP poll just frustrated me to no end. And so... <laughs> Hit that thumbs up button, the like button. New people jump in on board as we can see those. I'm surprised by the Florida State thing. I didn't think that would be one of those. So we've got Florida State, Miami, and Notre Dame. So who fills out? Oh, Ohio State. So we've got Ohio State. So I think we've got our four. So we're going to go ahead and post that. If you haven't got on board Twitter to follow us, well, you're missing an awful lot of news because we are turning out a lot of content. And we'd love for you to be able to see it. So you can go to uh, OTH Sports Media, which is uh, very easy to find. Or you can search uh, me, Dave Hooker. And all you have to do, the Twitter handle is the Dave Hooker. And we're all over Instagram and all that good stuff. So uh, certainly check us out. So there we are. That is the poll question for today. Today's tough question is what non-conference team would you most like to see Tennessee beat? So we are we're sitting now, uh, no votes yet, as I just posted it, and we have Ohio State, Florida State, Miami, and Notre Dame. So we'll get your thoughts as we go on. And so some breaking news as we start the program, I believe. Caleb, let me check my phone, which may be uh, poor hostmanship, but... Uh, this with a record number of votes, the 2023 fan favorite coach of the year sponsored by AccuCenture. I don't know what they do. Goes to Josh Heupel. Heupel led the balls to an 11 and two overall record and a 31 and 14 win over Clemson in the orange bowl. It's the Paul bear Bryant coach of the year award. So it's kind of neat that Josh Heupel was able to win that the day, the season that they were able to break. Um, the streak against Alabama. So kudos to him. And I think I'm not sure how many coach of the year awards he's won. The fact that Sonny Dykes made it to the championship game, I'll be real frank with you. If there was a vote that I was a part of, I would have to go with Sonny Dykes. But other than that, Josh Heupel is going to be up for a lot of these awards, Caleb, and rightly so. What he did in the SEC um, is, is every bit as difficult um, as, as what 
I believe TCU did in a different way in the Big 12. TCU is probably better one to eight, but uh, beating Alabama, holding on against Florida, beating Pitt, doing all that they did, um, I thought was pretty impressive. So I do think, though, that, listen, I, I thought the South Carolina game was a huge gut punch at the time for Hendon Hooker's Heisman candidacy, for Tennessee's college football playoff chances. I do think it stuck with some people in terms of the AP voting and probably some coach of the year voting, but it was that kind of loss, Caleb. It did just, it sat with a lot of people when people had their eyes on Tennessee. Maybe if that type of loss happened in September, people aren't watching Tennessee as much. Maybe they even forget about it, but when it happened and with all eyes on, it's had an effect on some of this postseason award voting. It has. Um, I think, the official media vote for the Paul Bryant Coach of the Year was still Sonny Dykes. I think this was a fan vote, wasn't it? For, yes, this was yeah. the best vote, correct. Yeah, I think um, I think I agree. I think that that stuck with a lot of people. I also think that um, you know you could question maybe high, look. We know the internal workings that went into the South Carolina game and why there were some struggles um, with the Jeremy Banks thing. Look, let's be honest. We, we let, let, Let's call a spade a spade. Part of coaching is managing that and managing your team's psyche. And you can maybe criticize Josh Heupel for not for not kind of managing the team's mental state after that because it seems like the defense clearly just quit on the team in that game and after the bank suspension. So that, that might be a knock against him. But I agree, beating Alabama. Um, really the thing that stands out with me with Heupel is the team got better as the year went on. Dave, you and I watched that Tennessee Pittsburgh game, the second game of the se- second week of the season, and we thought, okay, Tennessee beat Pittsburgh. They got a chance to have a special start, but we didn't think they'd be in. That did not look like a team that was going to be in the college football playoff race five weeks, six weeks later. And especially not when you, the next week, when you have one of your most talented players and arguably um, your most talented, experienced receiver and Cedric Tillman go out against Akron. I mean, that was another thing that you watch and you're like, uh-oh, I mean, this thing may not be really tenable. I agree. I agree. T- Tillman goes out right before Florida. Um, and again, even when Tennessee struggled with Florida, you kind of thought, okay, they they stumbled to 4-0, but they took advantage of the easy schedule to start the year and build a profile for themselves. I mean, I think where they turned a corner where you really start to think this team has a chance was that LSU game. The way they came out after the bye to just blow out LSU and take such control of that game, that's when you started to think, okay, this team really could do something special. And that's a lot of credit to Heupel for the team getting better and better as the year went on. Um, The Georgia loss, it was a loss to Georgia. No shame in that. The South Carolina game was just, that was the one knock against them. There were so many inner workings. But, yeah, Dykes, um, because right, Sonny Dykes kind of went more down a you know went went through a Big Twelve path. TCU kept gaping, but kind of you know winning a lot of close games that can be a testament to coaching too. I mean, sometimes coaching IQ is the difference in a close game. I think we all all of us who watched Tennessee during the Butch Jones years knows that, <laughs> and so um, I, I think that you got you have to give Sonny Dykes some credit for that. But yeah. Let's be honest, if he plays in the SEC, even if he plays in the SEC East like Tennessee did, is he going 11 and 1 or 12 and 1 playing for the SEC title? I don't think he is. Well, I, 
I think both programs, okay, if you put TCU in Tennessee spot and they're playing that schedule, and Travis asked a lot of talk about TCU's schedule, do you think they could have played UT schedule? Okay, so UT schedule, I think they, I think Pitt is the one game that I'll look at that I think TCU probably would have lost. On the road early in the season, you have a Max Duggan who's just trying to get settled in. He wasn't even supposed to be at the, the starter at the beginning of the season. I think they lose that game. I think Alabama is probably a coin flip game if that game were at TCU. Um, as far as South Carolina, you have all kinds of outside circumstances that you would think wouldn't have happened with the TCU in that situation, but who knows? So, I, I really believe Travis, and I listen. I'm SEC through and through. I love the SEC. People ask me who are you a fan of, and I say the SEC. So I I believe that TCU would have fared maybe a little bit better than you with Tennessee schedule. I think that there were three really really good teams and a bunch of other teams. I think Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee were the really good teams in the in the SEC. I think that there were about eight good teams in the Big 12. And that includes TCU. I think after Saturday night or Monday night, I don't look at them as an elite program. Um, So they would struggle against Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. No question about it. Obviously, they did on Monday. But I don't know that Tennessee with – not the deepest roster in the world would have been able to do the same thing TCU did in the big 12. And Caleb, I say that because it's more challenging from week to week. There were a lot of games where Tennessee was able to rest their guys in the second half. That's not going to be the case in the big 12. If you're good one through eight. So the conferences are very different and it makes it difficult to compare, but I think it's oversimplification to say that, Tennessee played a much more difficult schedule than TCU. You? Yeah, I would go there. We're leaving out a couple of teams, though, because we are also leaving out LSU on the road. You know, does, does TCU win that game? And the, do they win the way Tennessee did? I think the everybody talks about the Alabama game. The standout game for me is that LSU game. Tennessee came in. It was, look, there were a lot of other factors. It was a noon game at Death Valley. LSU was still kind of finding themselves under Brian Kelly. Tennessee's fresh off a of bye. And it was one of those games where everything was 11 o'clock local time. Let's remember that. And they practiced in the afternoon, and there was the quirky kick return fumble. I thought there were a lot of things that played in Tennessee's favor outside of their control in that game. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think so. Maybe TCU wins that game because of the all the other exterior factors. You're probably right. I, I, I'm not sure they – but. Alabama is the one I don't think is a coin flip. I think Alabama is where you see where Tennessee in certain areas has just better players than TCU. I don't think TCU hangs with Alabama, honestly. Um, And so I think that's the difference. And Nick Saban, I think, eats air raid offenses for lunch as a a defensive mastermind. So um, it's Sonny Dykes' air raid. I'll do credit to it. It's it's not a – it's not like Heupel's offense, which is – and I know you talked to um, Cooper yesterday about the differences between Heifel's offense and, and other offenses. Whereas, you know, even though Sonny Dykes runs the air raid well, he deserves a lot of credit. It's a 
tried and true. It's been out in college football for how many years now? 25 years. It's a longstanding system that a coach like Nick Saban would be familiar with. Heupel's offense, which is kind of a mix of the Art Riles RPO offense and the air rate, I still don't think I don't think defensive coordinators have figured it out yet. I think they will one day. I think it's kind of like the Spurrier offense in the 90s. But right now, Tennessee's still in a situation where coaches haven't caught up to what Heupel's doing yet. And so that's where that's the difference. Very fair. According to uh, TeamRankings.com, Tennessee had the fourth most difficult schedule in the nation. TCU, do you want to guess where they are? Uh, ninth. Pretty close. Sixth. So they oh, were. Okay. So they're they're pretty comparable, but in different ways. I, I I think they're again, top to bottom, top to eight. Uh, the Big Twelve is better. The SEC had had better teams um, at the top, and that proved true on Monday night. Travis said, in my opinion, they got lucky that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were, were terrible this year. Travis, though, I'm going to be a little bit devil's advocate here and say that, well, you know, Tennessee was very fortunate that uh, they caught those LSU breaks that we just talked about. Tennessee was very fortunate that Alabama was as down as skilled positions as they have been since I can remember under this Nick Saban run. If they don't have Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech who transferred, that is one of the more average skill position groups in the nation, not just the SEC. I mean, they are middle of the pack. Um, Jameer Gibbs probably elevated them somewhere in the top 25 range because I think he's special. And then, of course, Bryce Young really elevates him. He's a skill position guy. Um, who I think I think is the best quarterback coming out going into the draft. Um, listen, if 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 the Dallas Cowboys, I'll give him the ultimate compliment. If the Dallas Cowboys want to back over Dak Prescott with uh, some sort of utility vehicle and draft Bryce Young and trade up, I'm fine with that because I'm a Cowboys fan and I think Bryce Young is special. Matthew said, "Who are the coaches?" that uh, Tennessee is going after. Well, I tell you what we will do, Matthew. We'll get to that in exactly two minutes. I remind you, Guardian Investment Advisors, they not only tell you where to put your money, but why. GIAplantoday.com. They have video teleconferencing. What does that mean? That means that you can visit with the best in the nation when it comes to financial advisement. So two minutes, and who is Tennessee hiring as their tight ends coach next. Stay tuned. Off the Hook Sports with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hogan. ...has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli-style subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. 
Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at CCTIs.com. Forgive me, Caleb. What was our fourth team again? Um, I mean, Notre Dame, Florida State. Notre Dame, Florida State, Ohio State, and Miami, maybe? That is today's tough question. Throw an other in, too. Might want to throw another just in. I only got four choices. So okay. we're going to do those. Because some people might say Michigan or Texas, because Texas, of the even though they're not in the, they're about to be in the SEC. So I would. Well, I first come, first served. We're done. We got four choices on that. <laughs> so go ahead and go to Twitter at the Dave Hooker or at OTH Sports Media probably just search off the hook sports and let's get your vote so uh, we have that on board and uh a, a bit of breaking news that is pretty interesting kevin warren is uh, now the president of the bears he's leaving his role as big 10 commissioner he's kind of the one who helped spearhead the whole let's go get usc and ucla so we'll see how that works out i think it's fundamentally flawed from a business standpoint but hey we'll find out what happens and um, as far as the, the message board, we had a question. Um, do, do, do. We had a question, who are the coaches that, that Tennessee is going after? Well, let's get to that right now because if you haven't been off the sports.com, Caleb did a fantastic job with that. Hit that like button. The thumbs up button helps us generate more listeners, which helps us get bigger. I had guys like Ron Slade, John Prompton, and we've got a huge addition that is coming up here momentarily. So, Let's get to the coaches that Tennessee is going after to replace Alex Golish's tight end vacancy. Uh, of course, Joey Halsey is the offensive coordinator. And it's brought to you by Big Orange Phillies. Big Orange Phillies on Maynardville Pike is so easy to get to. It's on Maynardville Pike. So if you're in Maynardville or the Halls area or anywhere in North Knoxville and you want to have fantastic food in a family-friendly environment, you want to be able to shoot some stick, they got billiards, you want to throw some darts, they've got darts. Uh, how about cornhole? They've got that. They've got it all. And again, the food is fantastic. Big Orange Phillies. All you have to do is Google Big Orange Phillies. All right. So what is the perfect 
tight end candidate. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Caleb, but quite frankly, we didn't have enough time to delve into it. So just paint the picture, if you're Josh Heupel, what this guy looks like. And I'll start Uber recruiter, some tight end experience, and I would like a little special teams experience. How would you paint the perfect guy before we go through the list of possibilities? Uber recruiter, some tight end experience, some special teams experience. That's what you said? Yes. I don't – I am Uber recruiter and versatile experience coaching offense, meaning you've coached a couple of different positions on offense. I'm not that specific to having to have coach tight ends. I, I, I think if you've coached wide receivers and running backs, you can coach tight ends. Um, so – I'm just mainly recruiter and a little bit of versatility, either versatility coaching offense or specific experience coaching tight ends. One of the two. And also um, a bonus familiarity with Josh Heupel's system. Okay. Um, boy, that might, might be tough to find. He's, he's pretty original, but I'll, I'll roll with you on that one. So um, here we go. Let's, let's take a look. Um, as far as the list that you had uh, put together, I, I want you to pull that list up, and it's on offthehooksports.com. If for some reason you don't have time or you have to bolt away, that's okay. Um, but pull that list up, and I'm going to give it a thumbs up, thumbs down. I would hire him. How about that? We'll do it Fair that way. So go through it? Yeah, give me a little thumbnail on that, and I'll remind you that uh, the official craft beer of Off the Hook Sports is Zul Beer, downtown great parking, xulbeer.com, Zul Beer Company, and they have worldwide award-winning craft beer. So let's roll through these 10, Caleb, and uh, tell me what you got. I'm going to give you a thumbs up, thumbs down, whether or not I would hire him. Okay. First one, Seth Littrell. He just got fired from North Texas as head after seven years as head coach there. Um, he and Heupel never worked together, but they both coached tight ends under Mike Stoops at Arizona during separate stints. Uh, Literal coached there in 2009, 2010, and 2011. He has offensive coordinator experience. Heupel, his first on-field coaching role was under Mike Stoops in 2005 before he went to Oklahoma to coach quarterbacks, and Heupel was also a tight ends coach. So where are you going with that? I like his recruiting ties that I assume he would have in Texas. However, Texas – Athletes don't typically work out for Tennessee, so I'm going to give that a thumbs down. Okay. It'll, uh, it'll get better. There's a lot on here I like. Don't get downtrodden. Come on, Caleb. <laughs> okay, so now we go to Hypo's history of just promoting from within. So I'm going down a few offensive analysts. Um, first one is uh, Mitch Militello. He is an offensive analyst. Um, he works a little more with the quarterbacks. But um, he's been in Heifel's system for a little while, so there's the possibility that he could transition over to being promoted and coaching tight ends. I want a guy who is um, who brings some experience and has better recruiting ties than a hire from within with a young guy. So I'm going to give that a thumbs down. But I love the direction you're going because I think it's about to get really good. All right, well, we got two more then that you're probably going to thumbs down because the next one is another offensive or uh, offensive analyst, Alec, uh, Alec Abel. Um, he's a former lineman, 
Um, but I, I know in the past there are some offensive linemen who have worked, who have been able to transition to working with tight ends. He played for Josh Heupel at Missouri, um, played offensive line when Heupel was offensive coordinator there. Um, so he's another offensive analyst, but I'm guessing with his limited recruiting ties, you're going to say no. I'm not crazy about that one, so I'm going to give that a thumbs down. But you know I love you like a brother, but I'm an only child, so I don't really know what it's like to have siblings. All right, All right. Let's, let's go to the next one. Another one, another offensive analyst. Uh, there's a reason I had these guys near the bottom of the list, to be fair. Okay. We're, okay, so this is ascending. We're working our way up in the world. Yes. So Cody Cook is the final one. Um, he His playing background, he played at Kansas State. He was a junior college walk-on. He was an all Big 12 all-purpose player. So he played a little quarterback, a little running back, and a little receiver. I feel like if you played all three and you have experience in Hypo system, it shouldn't be that hard to transition to coaching tight ends. Um, but I think, I'm guessing you're thumbs downing that. I think we can do better. I think I think I think you, you and I can do better as a name. So I'm gonna give that a thumbs down, but I like where you're going. All right. Now next, um, number six, Luke Wells. Luke Wells was co-offensive coordinator with Heupel at Utah State in 2015. Um, he spent he he was the uh, tight ends coach under Philip Montgomery at Tulsa this past year. I think that current standing is up in the air because Montgomery is gone. Kevin Wilson is taking over there. Um, it's pretty obvious Wells will jump ship, but he has experience coaching tight ends. He's worked with Heupel before. He's got ties. He's got some experience. So where are you going with Luke Wells? I'm going to give that a thumbs up. I would be good with that hire. So I, I like the fact that, you know, co-offensive coordinator is a funny thing. A lot of times that's just a way to get the administration to give somebody a raise. But you're at least involved with game planning at the very least, even if it is just a title. So I, I will say I'm thumbs up. I'm good with Luke Wells. And then it gets interesting. Yes, now it gets good. Um uh, former Tennessee running backs and receivers coach and current Duke assistant coach and running backs coach Trooper Taylor. Um, Taylor's never coached tight ends, but he's coached receivers and running backs. He's coached in Louisiana, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Arkansas. So tons of recruiting ties. Um, and I think that it shouldn't be that hard of a transition for him to coach tight ends. Yeah, and did a great job with Tennessee's receivers in 2004. I'm giving that a monster thumbs up, just a monster thumbs up. I think that would be a fantastic hire. Somebody, when Trooper Taylor, he, the reason he was at Arkansas State, his wife was getting, I believe, her doctorate, and his son played there. So he was at Arkansas State for a long time, and everybody's wondering why, and some people want to say maybe he had recruiting baggage that he was – in trouble with the NCAA, and he was supposed to take like a Michael Jordan sabbatical like Jordan did with baseball. I, I don't believe any of that. I think if you recruit well, people always say that you've done something awry. I think that Trooper Taylor is going to be a fantastic coach whenever he decides to kick his coaching back into high gear. Here's the other thing that's interesting about Trooper is I'm not sure off the top of my head how old he is. But he's a little bit older than me, and I'll be uh, 49 in March. So I believe he's a little bit older than me. Here's the other thing about Trooper Taylor. The guy is like a health freak. So he you know, has never drank a drop of alcohol in his life. Um, he was born in 1970, so he would be around 52 years old. So I 
I mean, this is a guy that's going to just be able to keep churning and churning and churning. Great, great SEC experience. And he's a guy that, can, you know, he coached at Auburn, um, coached at Tennessee, of course. He can go into Miami and recruit with the best of them. That's a huge monster thumb up, and you're going to have to blow me away with some of the other ones um, because I think that's a, a really, really strong one. I don't know if Josh Heupel wants to make that call um, because it is kind of a hearken to the past thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. I'm, I'm giving Trooper my thumbs up, brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden, Man Alive. It's worth the drive in Cleveland, Ohio. All right, so – who we got next? Um, so next, um, by the way, before we even go, I just wanted to add a stat. Trooper coached running backs in 2004. Tennessee had two 1,000-yard rushers for the only time in history. Then he moved to receivers in 2006, and Robert Meacham set the single-season receiving record, a record that still stands in Tennessee. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Daryl Wyatt. Wyatt is is um, – He's been a passing game coordinator, an offensive coordinator, and a receivers coach. He's currently Boston College's receivers coach. He was on Heupel's staff at UCF from 2018 to 2020 as a receivers coach. He's also been a recruiting coordinator and a co-recruiting coordinator at Houston and Texas. So he has he has experience recruiting. He has ties to Florida, Texas. I don't really think it matters to have ties to the Northeast. Northeastern high school football is horrible and irrelevant at this point, but I think outside of that, I think Daryl Wyatt could be, you want a recruiter. I mean, here's an experienced recruiter who has ties to some major recruiting States. I'm 120% down with that. I think that's a huge monster thumbs up. I, I like that. I like that hire a lot, uh, a lot. So now we're getting into the good stuff. So you better hit that thumbs up button so we can bring more people in. And if you haven't subscribed yet, be sure and do that. So, uh, by the way, already Travis is saying TT is the one. Um, so there you go. All right, who's next? All right, next we got John Cooper. John Cooper uh, was a graduate assistant at high school. Are we talking about sweater vest, John Cooper? We are. We are not talking about the former uh, Ohio State coach. Okay. Yes, sure. Um, isn't Trestle the sweater vest one? Oh yeah, Trestle's the sweater vest one. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, Fulmer always had a nice sweater vest in November games, I remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah, okay, so John Cooper. Um, he, also, he also had the boob sweat in September, but anyway. Oh, God, that, that 2003 Florida game. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, I was, I was a big guy back then. I can take those shots still, even though I've lost some LBs. All right, so. Um, Cooper was a, he was a graduate assistant. Well, he played offensive line at Oklahoma when Hypo was coaching quarterbacks there. Then he was a graduate assistant under Hypo when Hypo was offensive coordinator there, graduate assistant under Hypo at Utah state offensive analyst at Missouri when Hypo was offensive coordinator. But most importantly, he was the tight ends coach at UCF Hypo's first two years there. Then he went over to Arkansas to be a tight ends coach under Sam Pittman in 2020 Offensive line coach at Western Carolina in 2021. Making that lateral move is a red flag because Sam Pittman, it's not like he was fired after 2020. Um, came back to Oklahoma, made another lateral move, kind of, because he became an offensive analyst. And just recently became the offensive line coach at North Texas. Obviously, if Heupel comes calling, he's going to leave North Texas. But experience in Heupel's system, coach tight ends, has Florida ties has Oklahoma ties, has Arkansas ties, and has Missouri ties. And I, 
I don't know the background and what happened at Arkansas with Pittman, but that could be something like happened with Trooper Taylor. Trooper Taylor wasn't given the offensive coordinator position. He said, I'm out for Oklahoma State. So I'm going to give that a thumbs up based off a little bit of ignorance there, not knowing what happened at Arkansas. But I think that's a thumbs up. I, th- I think you've obviously stacked the best ones at the top of the list, and it's on offthehooksports.com right now. Yes. Um, and then the next one, um, the the last of the realistic hires, put it that way, um, Joe John Finley, um, he coached under Heupel in 2012 and 2013. Um, he was He's coached under... I believe it would have been Art Bryles in 2015. I think Art Bryles, yeah, Art Bryles was still there in 2015. He was Heupel's tight ends coach in 2016 and 2017. Um, coached under Jimbo Fisher's tight ends coach at Texas A&M in 2019. Coached under Lane Kiffin um, and Jeff Levy in 2020. That's the passing game coordinator and the tight ends coach. And the past two years, under Lincoln Riley and then Brett Venables, he's been associate head coach for offense, tight ends, and H-backs coach. So he's coached under Heupel. He's coached tight ends. He's worked with Kiffin, Jeff Levy, Jimbo Fisher, has Texas, Mississippi, uh, Oklahoma ties, and tons of familiarity with Heupel. Love that one. Big, big monster thumbs up. And then you're going to go crazy here in a second. Going to go crazy. The last one, and it's about recruiting. And you're right, he probably wouldn't take it. But if you can get Jason Witten who's coaching high school football in Texas right now. Why not? Played at Tennessee, the most versatile tight end, I think, in the history of the NFL, is the only tight end I know in the in NFL history that could line up at left tackle or wide out. So he understands the nuances of playing all parts of tight end. Um, played at Tennessee in 2001, 2002. A great leader. We know he's a great leader. Um, and we don't know we don't know how good of a recruiter he is. This is also dependent on maybe he whether or not he would want to be a recruiter, but he would have an advantage just by name alone by saying he's Jason Witten. So, uh, Travis asked, "Why wouldn't Witten take it?" Well, here's my answer: He's a multimillionaire. He's beloved in Texas more than he's actually beloved in Tennessee. Believe it or not, he won the Bob Lilly Award, which goes to the best all-around player on and off the field, more than Bob Lilly won it. So he won it like six times, and Jason uh, or Bob Lilly won it like four. So it wasn't called the Bob Lilly Award when they gave it to him. It was like the humanitarian off-the-field award. Uh, I don't think Jason Witten, here's another reason, um, Travis. I don't think Jason Witten has the desire to recruit. Um, I also think that he would have to totally learn another offense. So I love Jason Witten. Trust me, if there hadn't been a book re- uh, written about him, I would like to be the one that wrote it. But there's already been one. I will say that uh, uh, Jason Witten, your number one guy, I'm going to have to give a thumbs down to. I love it in concept. I just don't know that he would want to take on that responsibility of learning a new offense, which I- I'm sure he's not running that in Texas. What school is he in in Texas? Do you know, by the way? And the, uh, other, the other thing is is recruiting. Now, you could argue he would have great recruiting ties in Texas, and that would help him make the transition and have an impact on Josh Heupel's staff. But I'm going to say right now that I'm going to have to give Jason Witten a uh, thumbs down. It looks like he's at Liberty Christian School in Argyle, Texas. That 
I think that's in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, it's a suburb of Fort Worth. So uh, I like what Anthony Richard said. I, Dave, um, I don't know your thoughts on this. I think Jason Witten was the biggest indictment of Fulmer's coaching ever. That him falling to the third round in the draft had everything to do with Fulmer not using him enough, particularly that 2002 year when Clawson had no receivers because Kelly Washington went down. They should have been thrown it to Jason Witten every time. Well, it had a lot more to do with Fulmer sandbagging when he was asked uh, about Witten by NFL scouts leading up the draft. So it had a lot to do with that, out of resentment that he didn't come back for his senior year. Oh, wow. Well, Fulmer, yeah, Fulmer was old school. I forgot about that. He actually said in like 2007 that Robert Meacham probably should have come back for a senior year. And I'm like, why would Robert Meacham come back for a senior year? <laughs> well, and I, I will say this in all fairness, when Jason Witten made his announcement that he was going to the NFL, that guy was shaking like I've never seen anybody shake before. He was nervous. And I remember uh, disgraced uh, sports information director Bud Ford uh, leaning over to me and saying, this guy ain't ready for the NFL. And I was like, one press conference doesn't determine it. But that went through my mind as well as he was very, very nervous at that press conference, Caleb, incredibly nervous. And it made me wonder how he would handle the NFL spotlight. Now, he handled it great. And man, the first time I interviewed him for one of those Bob Lilly Awards in the locker room after a game in which I believe they beat the Redskins, he looked, he seemed like he had matured. And I know he it had been six, eight years since I talked to him, but he seemed like he had matured from a, a wide eyed guy when he left about what's this NFL all about to one of the true leaders of that team and maybe even the league and in, in the way he played. And so um, I, I love Jason went to death. You have to remember too, you know, he had a rough upbringing. His dad wasn't really around and he was just basically adopted by his high school football coach. So I think he sees a lot of value in giving back at the high school level. So I don't even know that he would be approachable. That would answer the question of, of why wouldn't he take it that we had on the message board. Now, I will give Philip Fulmer some credit for this. They did line Jason Witten up wide. They had a lot of other guys to get the ball to. He broke a lot of tight end records. So I don't think if you graded it that it was a total F for Jason Witten and in, in the way they utilize Tennessee, him at Tennessee, it was probably a C. So I don't think I didn't think it was terrible, Caleb. I thought he could have been utilized more. Yeah, I think more 2002, because we talked about defending Casey Clawson yesterday, and I think you and I both know that, like, after Kelly, after Dante Stallworth left and then Kelly Washington got hurt in the middle of 2002, Clawson never had a decent receiver to throw to after that, his last year and a half as Tennessee's quarterback. I mean, that that, that was a hodgepodge of – that was a makeshift receiving unit, for, particularly a senior year. So 2002 – I think Jason Witten should have been used a lot more, mainly just because there were no other options. Wasn't like Montreal Jones and Leonard Scott the top two receivers yeah. that year? Le Leonard Scott would have been an incredible receiver if instead of a football they used a javelin. <laughs> because he was, it would have just stuck to him because he couldn't catch, but he was wide open all the time because he was so fast. Yeah. If they just used a javelin, he would have been a world record receiver in terms of yardage gain he was open all all the time so um why john calipari is going down the philip fulmer path 
and uh, more coming up as we continue. Uh, new time. Want to remind you that we're with you each and every weekday at uh, ten o'clock. So, what else have we got coming up in addition to the comparison between Philip Fulmer and John Calipari? Uh, we also have. Uh, Tennessee faring in the uh, top six of the AP poll. How did they do after that? Because the following seasons had mixed results. They've done it 14 times in school history, including this year. So we're going to look at the 13 other times they did it. How did they do the next season? But why, again, John Calipari is quickly going down the Philip Fulmer path, and it's not a good path. Brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. City Heating and Air Conditioning, integrity matters. They'll take care of that HVAC unit. You might not need a new one, but other people are going to tell you they do because they want the money. But City Heating and Air Conditioning is not like that. Integrity matters. 50 years. That means something. More after this with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Is John Calipari out? Well, Philip Fulmer should be able to give him some advice because he's been down the same path. Stay tuned. Off the Sports. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Hey, guys. You ready to let the dogs out? What? Do what? <laughs> let the dogs out. You know, like, who let the dogs out? Who, who? Off the Hook, airing on offthehooksports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. Always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
hit that like button if you're on board so we can get more people in the show and we respond to your message board post and remind you we're at 10 o'clock each and every weekday and we want you here so i wrote a column that's going to post on offofsports.com today and I think that John Calipari has found himself going down a very familiar path. And it's one that Tubby Smith went down. It's one that Philip Fulmer went down. And you win a championship, and at some programs, you're in for life. I mean, let's face it. If, if Gonzaga ever wins a championship, they're never going to make a change in basketball there. Um, I'll take South Carolina randomly. If South Carolina won a college football championship, they would never make a change. There are some programs that you're just in for life and you're good. Tennessee football is not one of those programs, and that proved to be true after Tennessee won a national championship in 1998 under Philip Fulmer. Now, they had an opportunity to win another one in 2001, but fell short in the SEC championship game. Would have played Miami, probably would have gotten beat, but Still, that would have been another shot of the championship, which might have given Philip Fulmer a few more years tacked on to the end of his tenure. But then the 2005 season comes along, <coughs> pardon me, and that was an absolute train wreck. And then you have the 2008 season in which Philip Fulmer was finally fired. So the point is there are some programs that you cannot just win a championship and expect to move forward and stay there and be – uh, one of the coaches that's never going to be fired. It just it just doesn't happen in this day and age of college football. You know, there were there were guys like uh, Barry Alvarez who didn't even win a championship. That goodness gracious, I mean, they weren't going to fire him for anything. As a matter of fact, when he said he was done, they made him the athletic director at one point. Uh, Caleb, Tennessee football and Kentucky basketball. It's just not like that. Josh Heupel could win a national championship next year. And if he averaged eight and a half, nine wins over the next four years, people would be up in arms. That's just the way things go. So I look at John Calipari and I see some similarities in, in the Philip Fulmer firing that I covered extensively. And the one thing I see, and you brought it to my attention, and I went back and watched some of the Kentucky basketball game, which was horrid. Uh, when they lost to South Carolina. And there are two similarities I see, actually. One, the fan base has turned against John Calipari, it seems. When you have signs, go to Texas. By the way, John Calipari is going to be fine. He's going to go somewhere else, and with his connections, he's going to pop up, and he'll he'll be in the NCAA tournament each and every year. I don't care if he goes to South Jose State Western University. He will be just fine. But with, with John Calipari... It seems the fan base has turned against him. And once that happens, it's hard to get back. I still remember a poll that we ran at the Knoxville News Sentinel in the middle of the 2008 season. And we thought it would be 80% retain Fulmer, uh, 20% get rid of him. It was 60% get rid of him, 40% no. So at the time, that taught me a lot about the fact that fans only have so much patience despite what you do. The other thing that reminds me of John Calipari and Philip Fulmer is that Fulmer's classes 
were still ranked really high, his recruiting classes. Now, I think some of that goes into the fact that you have one of the biggest sites on a recruiting network that happens to be in Tennessee, and I think those numbers get boosted. I'm not going to go down that road. I think some of those ratings were, those recruiting rankings were inflated, but I do believe that Philip Fulmer was still recruiting at a high level. Guys were going to the NFL and having success. John Calipari, his players are going to soon make a billion with a B dollars in the NBA. And I think that rubs fans the wrong way too, to say, well, why didn't they do more in college? So Caleb, I see a lot of similarities between the two coaches. I don't think John Calipari makes it from some people I've talked to and, and what I've seen. I don't think he makes it at Kentucky past this year. And I don't think he cares. I don't think he thinks that Kentucky's the end all be all. I think that he, again, because of his recruiting connections, can go anywhere and have success. He walked away from the Nets, and he got a $4 million payout, which seems paltry, but it was huge at the time. He didn't care. I interviewed him about it. I think he's going to be ready to cruise, and I think that's good for Tennessee because Calipari is a proven coach. You can go out and get a Robert Gillespie or somebody else, some other goofball, and there's a good chance that – Kentucky could be going through a decade of being dormant like Tennessee football did. Uh, but I think Calipari's done. I really do. So the only reason he might not be done is I think we have to remember a few things that happened compared comparing to Fulmer and even Tubby Smith. Calipari may have his best recruiting class ever at Kentucky coming in in 2023, which is crazy to think. Five, five stars. Now, take the politicking, if you will. You are right. It, maybe they're getting boosted. The sites are boosting them because Kentucky has them committed, <laughs> you know, and but uh, including Dewan Wagner's son next year. If you remember, I know you said Fulmer was still recruiting at a high level, but right before that 2008 season, that 2008 class was Fulmer's worst in history. Right. I don't mean I don't mean at the bitter end. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That 2008 class was horrendous. And that 2006 class. I think Walter Fisher was the star of that 2006 class and he never played. Yeah. And so I think that, that you could see recruiting sliding with Fulmer. He had a flash in the pan in 2007. The 2005 class was a bust. Um, what hurt Tubby Smith, because we brought him up, was as Kentucky was floundering, Chris Lofton, whose number is going to be retired this weekend, by the way, um, he was starring at Tennessee. So all Kentucky fans saw was Chris Lofton balling at Tennessee a guy Tubby Smith didn't even want and Kentucky struggling at the same time. And I mean, that, that was just, that was too much. Um, I think with Calipari, there is a, I think the turning point with John Calipari and I go back seven years ago was 20, you know, you, you, you go back kind of years and you say there was just a moment where they cost themselves. I think former, we bring up 2005. I think the start for former. And I, I, I always say this was the 2001 SEC title game. That was a Tennessee was the better team, had a chance to go play for the national title and just blew it and laid an egg and never got close to a top 10 finish again. With Calipari, it's 2015. So if you remember 2013, 2014, Calipari had one of his typical top five recruiting classes. They gelled in the end, made it to the NCAA tournament championship game and lost to UConn. In a rarity for Calipari, everybody on that team came back. It wasn't like one of those one and done years. Everybody was coming back. Plus, he had a number one recruiting class coming in. So you look at that, you looked at that Kentucky team and you're like, this is going to be the best basketball team of all time. 
back-to-back top recruiting classes. And then, you know, in college basketball, if a one and done player stays for a second year, that is so rare nowadays. They all stayed. Kentucky goes undefeated through the regular season, undefeated through the SEC tournament, makes the final four, lays an egg in the final four, because we all watched that game. Bo Ryan at Wisconsin coached circles around Calipari with, you know, Frank Kaminsky was dominating future NBA star, Carl Anthony Towns underneath the basket. Shouldn't have been happening. Kentucky lost that game to a severely less talented team when they had the best team in history. And they really haven't made any noise since then, honestly. Um, And it's been a slow decline. And I think you're right. I think fans are finally starting to get restless with it. And I think it would be the same with Fulmer. I think 2008 Fulmer would have been easier to swallow if Tennessee had that 2001 SEC championship game, but they didn't. I think Calipari right now would be easier to swallow if they had that 2015 national title. And they don't. And I think that's really standing out. Here's the other thing to remember, too, is John Calipari has, uh, I mean, they've just frankly got, he's got Kentucky by the you-know-whats. Because if he leaves, all those guys that you're talking about in the upcoming class, they're not coming to Kentucky. They have so much freedom now with the transfer portal. It would absolutely gut their program. When Philip Fulmer was fired, I thought Lane Kiffin the next year did a better job than Fulmer could have done, but at least as good of a job. You know, you had to rebuild a quarterback in Jonathan Crompton. You had a lot of things that you had to do there. I don't think Philip Fulmer would have managed any better than, what, seven wins um, with that 2009 team. I, he, he wouldn't have. So you, you – you were hoping for an upgrade. You know that if you fire John Calipari, that you are just basically cleaning out the cabinets and starting all over. And I don't know if you go throw a ton of money at Mark Few. But see, that's the thing about basketball is there are 15 elite programs in football, I believe. I've always said there's 15 that are right up there, and there's probably two or three that are at an even upper echelon. But there's 15 that can all say this job is as good as the other job in the top 15. How many are there in basketball? There's a lot because you can throw 15, 20 million dollars a year at basketball and you can become a, a Gonzaga. I mean, to call Gonzaga a mid-major is absolutely idiotic. I mean, they spend as much money on basketball as anybody else. I mean, technically, they're a mid-major, but they're. They're out there doing it. They're for real. It's no surprise if they're in the Final Four anymore. Those days are over. But there are so many jobs that Calipari could go to and have success. I think Tennessee, or sorry, Kentucky basketball fans need to be a little bit careful what they wish for. People said that with Philip Fulmer, but I believed at the time, and I still do, that Tennessee carries a lot of weight. That doesn't mean they didn't hire some dodo birds in the past 10 years, but it carries some weight. Lane Kiffin was not a dodo bird. Lane Kiffin was an NFL coach that had a Washington offer sitting there, which is why they made the move early with Philip Fulmer during the season, which some people didn't like because they had to do that in order to get Lane Kiffin. So this is not the same situation. You're basically tearing down a house and building it anew. Caleb, and I, I, I want to get your thoughts on that. I think they've got to be really careful with that. Uh, before we do that, remind you that crafttreats.com. Crafttreats.com has the chill pills that will help with your dog's 
arthritis. It'll help with anxiety. It'll help with digestive issues and use the code off the hook. That's off the hook. Now the chill pills have CBD in them to help your dog, but they've got all kinds of holistic, fantastic treats on there at crafttreats.com with or without CBD. So you use the code off the hook off the hook is the promo code to get 20% off and you will be set. Absolutely set. So Caleb, your thoughts on the way Kentucky's basketball fans are responding because I don't know that you're just going to go out there and hire another fantastic coach. I think there's a lot of competition for those jobs, and I know Kentucky is a blue blood. I know they have that tradition, but I don't think college basketball coaches view it like that anymore. I don't. I think they view it as you know, Gonzaga is as good of a job as the Kentucky's Dukes, North Carolinas of the world. You, I think in college basketball, more than anything, players, coaches matter more like college football. The, the You're right. There's blue blood programs. Coaches matter in college basketball, coaches with recruiting connections, I think. And here's a stat that I don't think people realize. Do you know, since Adolph Rupp, no coach has won more than one national championship at Kentucky? Yeah, I do, actually. And I think that, you know, we're talking Kentucky is living off. Kentucky is really thriving off a history of college basketball that really predates what basketball is now. And so I think that I say the same, by the way, with UCLA, UCLA. I, I, I remember Rick Barnes was eyeing the UCLA job about three years ago. And unless you prefer living in California to Knoxville, which I don't think Rick Barnes does because his whole family's in Knoxville or, or in North Carolina, um, I don't think you people look at the John Wooden days and they're like, we're UCLA. They've won one national championship since John Wooden retired one. And that was 95, I think. And that was with the coach and Jim Herrick who got in massive trouble at UCLA and then got in massive trouble at Georgia. So um, I think Kentucky's going down. I think sometimes people need to realize where their program is. I think the, 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 the thing with Calipari and the thing with basketball, and the reason I would say stick with them even though I don't think he's that good of a coach is that, you know, with Calipari, you can be great next year again with recruiting classes. I will say if you fire him, what matters is the hire you make after with Philip Fulmer. It was a slow burn, a slow decline of like, it wasn't just, we woke up. It wasn't just Tennessee fans woke up in 2008 and said, this team is bad. Let's get rid of Fulmer. It was like, okay, you start to reach, you lose the sec title in 2001. By about 2004, you're like, there's an SEC championship drought happening at Tennessee right now. Then 2005 happens with the missing the bowl game. And then 2008, it was just, it was a slow burn of falling apart. I think that what the mistake with Fulmer is what Tennessee did after firing Fulmer, which is Mike Hamilton was so obsessed with the splash hire that he didn't just hire Link Kidman. He shelled out head coach money for a staff <laughs> that he could sell. <laughs> And I thought at the time he should have hired Brian Kelly. Could you imagine if Brian Kelly was, I think Brian Kelly would still be at Tennessee today if Tennessee had hired Brian Kelly back in 2009. No. And I thought that I thought that Lane Kiffin at the time should have hired. And we talked about this off the air. I should have hired um, um, Gus Malzahn, who was at Tulsa and running up points uh, left Mm -hmm. and right. Um, the, I, Zach will appreciate this um, because I know Zach England of Best and Brock is a big 
Um, a big Lane Kiffin fan, big Tennessee fan. Zach England is a personal injury attorney in the Chattanooga area that can go toe to toe with the lawyers that those big insurance companies will hire. So Zach England is absolutely phenomenal. You will not believe the the service that you're going to get with Zach in England. If you're anywhere in the Chattanooga area or beyond, you need to call Zach England of Best and Brock. Zach England, Zach's got your back. So I just thought to Google this because somebody brought this up and we're going to go a little bit long here. Is that okay with you, Caleb? Yep, it's fine. Um, so first of all, um, to Ball's time said, I could see Nick Saban retiring after next season and taking Lee Corso's place on college football. I could certainly see more than I ever could Nick Saban being in TV um, because he does it so often. Now, does he do it just for recruiting? You know, he did it at the college football championship game. I don't know. But I'll tell you who the guy's going to replace Lee Corso is going to be Pat McAfee. They're going to, yeah, they're going to go really uh, just in a totally different direction because you can't replace – to me, you can't replace Lee Corso – with another older guy like Nick Saban, because nobody's going to be like Lee Corso. But I disagree. I actually think you could replace Lee Corso, and I've called I've called it for years. Imagine Steve Spurrier on College Game Day. Oh, I'm good with that. But he doesn't. <laughs> I don't think he wants to work that much. I don't think he wants to schedule. I don't either. Um, okay, so um, Anthony said uh, a block field goal from beating Alabama that year. Talking about Lane Kiffin, wish Kiffin had stayed. Travis disagrees, says Lane Kiffin is a bust, a traveling circus show. So it might surprise you to know that it was 13 years ago today that Lane Kiffin left Tennessee um, at night and there was the mattress burning and all that sort of thing. That was today. I just, for some weird reason, thought to Google that. I would text Lane and tell him, but then he shares it on social media and everybody's like, Dave, let it go. And I'm like, I was just sharing a personal <laughs> personal text. He's done that before. He burned me at the 10-year anniversary. Um, so I have let it go. I mean, I'm fine with it, Caleb. You know me well enough. To, like, that's just another, uh, another thing you got to cover. I remember that night sitting down and cracking up, uh, open a cold beer, thinking, oh, the day's over. It's been quite a week and um, covering recruiting. And now, basically, I would take Saturday off, and then Sunday, you would work covering recruiting from basically noon to 10 o'clock at night, whenever deadline was. And I remember sitting down, cracking open that beer, taking one sip, and across the crawl, I see that Bruce Feldman, who I have tremendous respect for, but he was really tight with that Orgeron, said, Lane Kiffin leaving Tennessee for Southern California. And it was literally one of those moments where you spit things out of your mouth. You're like, <laughs> you know, you literally are like, what the H? And so then my phone, as soon as before, the, almost before the, the crawl got to the other end and I, I got beat. Every Tennessee reporter got beat. I think Brent Hubs is a fantastic reporter. Brent Hubs came up to me and goes, hey, man, did you see this coming at all? And I said, I did not. And uh, so Lane Kiffin up and bolted. We go cover the press conference. I remember what's called a nut quote, which is your best quote you put towards the top of a story. I remember was a player that I'm not going to identify. I didn't at the time. And he came out of the meeting with Lane Kiffin. And he said, I don't give a bleep. Let's burn this mother bleeping place down. I remember that was the quote I used, and he screamed it. And I remember the players just being stunned, standing there outside the facility, 
think it was just open season doing interviews. About that time, we hear that Lane's going to do this press conference. And Austin Ward, who covers Ohio State now, was working with me. He says, well, do you want to cover this or the press conference? I'm like, dude, you go to the press conference. Both were incredibly memorable because suddenly mattresses started burning where I was. Lane Kiffin didn't want to go live on camera where he was. And it turned into some big journalism debate about whether or not he can determine whether or not he goes live, which was the whole thing was incredibly stupid and mishandled uh, by just 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 a terrible move by the sports information department led by Bud Ford, who struggled in his role for 30 years. And uh, Caleb, it was it was an absolutely bizarre night. I'm curious, would Tennessee have been better off had Lane Kiffin stayed at Tennessee, yay or nay? No, and the reason I say no is because the Lane Kiffin then is not the Lane Kiffin of now. I think the Lane Kiffin then was very, very, very brash, confident, and did not think there were consequences for anything that he did, and I think he would have gotten Tennessee in massive trouble, and he would have found himself fired in four years with a 10-year show calls penalty. I... I don't know that he would have found himself in trouble in recruiting as much as you think. I think he would have found himself in trouble in other areas, maybe recruiting too. Okay. Yeah. I I get what you're saying with other areas. I, 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 (laughs) Joey Freshwater, Joey Swampwater. And, uh, there was, there was a wrecked car that I was told of that I never could completely run that down. I mean, Ed Orgeron was a perfect fit for his staff. And so, (laughs) Yeah, I remember somebody telling me, um, I was asking about Ed Orgeron, and I said, uh, about Ed Orgeron, I said, well, it it seems like he's uh, got a lot going on. Do you ever worry about putting too much on his plate? Because he had a Red Bull. Did you know this, that he had a Red Bull cooler in his office so that he could get to Red Bull as fast as possible? Did not know that. Yeah, so, and he also, he also dipped coffee coffee grounds for more energy while he practiced because he couldn't have Red Bull during practice. So I always, I asked somebody, I said, do you ever worry about him having too much on his plate, too much stress? And the response was, trust me, it's better to keep him busy. Viles Automotive Group is the epicenter of coaching. Maybe I'll tell you a story sometime about why they didn't get Marlon Brown. Viles Automotive Group is the epicenter of uh, fantastic cars and the car buying experience couldn't be even better. They want, they need, and they appreciate your business and they are phenomenal. So uh, they have auto financing and they keep you going with the car service and repair work. Just unbelievable. Hit that like button. And if you're just joining us, great stuff on the front end as we were able to uh, break down Tennessee's tight end position. So We want you to do that, and if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. We'll leave it with this. Travis says, Lane Kiffin is a bust, a traveling circus show. Maybe a little bit. The funny part is I think Lane would be okay with that last part. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker, Off the Hook Sports. Have a fantastic day, everyone.